Good morning. My name is Ryan Wickstrom. I'm the director of adult ministries here at Stapleton Fellowship Church. And uh, um, hey, we're doing things a little different today in our service flow. If you haven't noticed, you've been here for a while. We usually, it's the first Sunday of the month, so we always do communion on the first Sunday of the month. We're still going to do that. It's just going to be at the end of service today. And um, we usually do announcements up front as well, and that's going to come at the end of, of service as well today. So, so don't worry. I know you're not, but um, just want to kind of bring you up to speed on that. I can't believe that Easter is only, it was only a week ago, to be honest with you. Being the director of adult ministries, I worked on a lot of uh, kind of the event planning leading up to Easter Sunday, and, and we did a unique thing this year. Um, we collaborated together with another church in Stapleton called Grace City uh, to put together an Easter celebration. So we combined our worship team and, and their teaching team and their volunteers and our volunteers. And the whole point of it and the heart behind it was that this isn't about, this isn't about us. It's not about um, an individual person or an individual church in the local area. It's, it's, it's all about Christ and his resurrection. And that's what we came together to celebrate last week. And it was amazing. Um, we, uh, we came together to celebrate, to get ourselves out of the way so we could celebrate the resurrection. We want to keep that in mind. Uh, we don't ever want to forget that. It's the biggest event in human history, especially if you're a believer in, in Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection defines who we are as Christians. If the resurrection didn't happen, we would have no faith. It, it would be useless. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. The resurrection accomplishes for us many things, uh, especially eternal life with Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins, but it does accomplish many things for us as, as believers in Jesus Christ. We're starting a new sermon series today, and it's called Rolling Away the Stone. You saw the, um, the new cool uh, welcome video with that illustrated, and it had some different phrases of things that, that are accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So for the next six weeks, we're going to take a look at some of the things that we that we are beneficiaries of uh, through the accomplishment of Jesus Christ raising from, from the dead. One is that he cures our spiritual blindness. We're able to see him and recognize him because of the resurrection directly. We're going to talk about that today. And we're going to walk through Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 34. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you've got some time to get there. Luke 24, 13 through 34. It's on the top of your sermon notes as well. So that'll kind of help us walk through Today's, today's message. Another thing that it does accomplish uh, for us, the resurrection accomplishes eternal life for us. So Jesus taking care of our sins, as long as we believe in him, uh, we get to experience eternal life uh, with the Father in heaven. It also uh, establishes a relationship with Christ directly. We get direct access to our Lord and Savior because of the fact that Jesus is who he said he was and resurrected from the dead. He gives us peace in, in times of tribulation. He gives us hope in a hopeless world. And ultimately, he gives us the affirmation that he's going to return and be our king and reign over us as a perfect king forever, which is 
which is huge. We're all looking forward to that day as believers in Jesus Christ. So we're going to take a look. The, the rolling away of the stone is the, is the name of the series. And rolling away the stone means, you saw the illustration in that walk-up video of um, a stone rolling away from a tomb. So Jesus, Jesus was crucified, died, and buried. He was buried in a tomb. A tomb back in those days, in that area, was, was basically a cave with a big old heavy stone rolled in front of it to seal the entrance of it. So the rolling away of the stone shows, it, it represents and illustrates physically the rolling away um, the things so that we can see the things that have been accomplished through the resurrection. So we're going to take a look today at, at, at a story in Luke chapter 24 of what happened, what did Jesus do after he raised from the dead, the stone was rolled away, and he went and did something. And what he did was encounter two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. That's today's message. So I'm going to give an overview of the narrative of the story of, of the road to Emmaus, and then we're going to go back and we're going to walk through in, in the passage. We're going to read through it together and just highlight some things coming in here, lessons that Jesus is, is showing us how we are able to recognize him as our Lord and Savior. So on the road to Emmaus, Jesus resurrects from the dead, stones rolled away, and he goes out and encounters these two guys, disciples of his, who are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile journey. And he comes alongside them. They don't recognize who he is initially. And he asks them, what are you guys talking about? Of course, they're talking about the things that just happened, the, re- the crucifixion of Jesus, the trial and crucifixion. It was, a, it was a big deal back then. Nobody would miss it. And Jesus kind of plays coy with them and says, well, what things are you talking about? And presses them, and so they share. It's, we're talking about the things that just happened. Are you the only person in Jerusalem that, that is not aware of these things? Has them explain it. And then he reveals to them through the word, not himself yet. They don't get to see him yet. But he reveals to them, paints a picture of these are the things that were written of. This thing, these things had to happen because they were written about me, written about Jesus before he came. So he's still kind of keeping them in the dark, but he's starting to reveal himself there. Then they get to Emmaus. It's evening time. And Jesus is acting like he's going to keep going on while the, while the two disciples are going to stay in Emmaus. Well, they say, well, why don't you come and stay with us? It's getting late in the day. Come stay with us. So Jesus accepts the invitation and comes and stays with them. They have dinner. And as they're breaking bread together, they, he reveals himself to them. And then he vanishes, and they have a little conversation about what just happened. So that's the basic, that's the basic overview of, uh, of the passage and the story of what Jesus did immediately after he resurrected from the dead. So if you look at your sermon notes, you'll see there's basically four overall categories listed there. There's um, the road to Emmaus is the first one, and there's two questions. We're going to see why can't, they, why can't they recognize him? Why can't they recognize Jesus initially? We're going to answer that question, and then we're going to see that they, he is revealed to them. So we're going to look at the question, the next question on your sermon notes. How is it that they can see him? How is it that they're made so they can see him? And then after that, their, their reaction to him, showing himself and then vanishing. So we're going to take a look at those things. We're going to start by just reading, <clears throat> reading starting in uh, Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, 
about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew himself near and went to them. So the first point here is that Jesus encounters the disciples. And and what does that mean? There's a couple observations that I want to point out to you. One is that Jesus, during his ministry, teaches his disciples, and you can find this in Matthew 18.20. It's not going to be on your screen, but you can put it on your notes if you want to I go back and read through that and check it. But what he teaches his disciples is that where two or more are gathered in my name, uh, I, there I will be. So he's physically demonstrating that for them. Right after his resurrection, he's showing that this is coming to fruition. This is what's happening. So um, the next thing that I want to point out as an observation is that there's a lot of skeptics out in the world that try to make theories in a case that the resurrection actually didn't happen. That there was other explanations for the fact that that tomb on that morning, on the third day after the crucifixion of Jesus, was empty. Something other than the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and, 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 and removed himself from that tomb physically. One, one of the big theories that we, we hear, and Matt, Pastor Matt talked about a little bit last week, It's called the swoon theory. And uh, the swoon theory is a theory that when Jesus was on the cross, he was nailed to the cross, and uh, that maybe his blood pressure dropped or he passed out or or Jesus feigned his death or something along those lines where they actually removed Jesus from the cross and he was still alive and put him in the tomb. And so he was able to wake up after spending three days in a cold, dark tomb and remove a big heavy stone after being nailed to a cross and, and leave there, which is ridiculous on its own, to be honest with you. But this here shows the first thing that Jesus does after the stone is rolled away and he's resurrected from the dead is he goes on a seven-mile walk. So you know how he was attached to that cross, right? He was nailed through his hands and his feet with like nails this big and three days sitting in a tomb if this guy didn't raise from the dead and was in a glorified body, uh, his feet might hurt a little and maybe not be able to walk seven miles. Just put in a, put it in perspective. From here to Coors Field is roughly seven miles. And that would be a long enough walk on its own on paved streets, but this was back in you know ancient Jerusalem where they were walking on some pretty rough terrain and stuff like that. So, so that just kind of drives home the point of... Um, Jesus actually died and rose from the dead and was in a, was in a glorified body. He didn't, fake his, he didn't fake his death, and he was actually um, God who had risen from the dead. So let's keep, keep reading on here. Okay? But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. So the first question that we ask here is, why can't, why can they not recognize him? There's a lot of theories out there. A lot of biblical scholars put a lot of time into writing a lot of books about why they can't recognize Jesus. For example, one, one thing um, that you'll, you'll see if you read through some of the stuff is that Jesus was beaten beyond recognition, and so they couldn't recognize him, which is, I don't know, makes logical sense. There's, there's a lot of different theory as to why they can't recognize him. But I'm just going to go off of what's written here. 
And there could be multiple reasons, but what's written here says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So I believe that Jesus just kept them from recognizing him. I think he had some reasoning for keeping these guys, at least initially, from recognizing him. I want to point a couple things out to you on this. So Jesus restrained the disciples from recognizing him. That's your first point under that question. So two big things here I want to say. Jesus asks them a question. He keeps them from recognizing him, asks them a question. Because he is interested in their honest feedback and feelings about him. We look at the character of God. We look at the teachings of God from the Old Testament through the New Testament and Jesus walking the earth. And we see that God is interested in the things that we say about him, that his children say about him. For example, in Matthew 16, Jesus goes and asks Peter, who is it that you say that I am, for example? He's interested to hear what Peter says that they say that he is. Another thing that I, this is just a, um, this is a little passage here that I want to share with you regarding God really caring about what it is that we say about him and how he does cherish the things that we say about him. It's in Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. I'm going to read that to you. Put it in your notes. I don't have it on the screen, so you can jot it down the address. It's Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. It's a really cool and, a, I think, reassuring and endearing verse, uh, section of verses for me. And this section is actually subtitled in the book here, um, The Book of Remembrance. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Isn't that cool? So the things that we say in esteeming his name are recorded in a book of remembrance. I'm looking forward to seeing that someday. I think it's going to be a pretty cool thing to have. But it shows us that the Lord really does cherish and care about the things that we say about him. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So the Lord is really concerned and interested in the things that we say about him. That's one, of the, that's one reason why I believe Jesus restrained these guys from, from recognizing him. From a practical standpoint, I believe that Jesus restrained them from recognizing him in this moment because Jesus wasn't going to be with them physically forever. He was only going to be there physically with these disciples after he had raised from the dead for 40 days. So they needed to be able to see and recognize their Lord without him actually physically being in front of them. So we're going to, we're going to walk, walk through a little bit of that in a minute. But you, if you think of it, Jesus was only here for 30, let's say the, the, all of human mankind history, 10,000 years. There's, there is one, you know, more or less, all that. But right around 10,000 years, let's say. Of those 10,000 years, Jesus was only here for 30 of those. And of those 30 years, he was only in re- ministry and has, has his ministry recorded for only three of them. So 
it's really important that we are able to recognize Jesus through not him just actually being physically there. Let's keep reading. And this is picking back up in verse 18. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? He really wants to hear what they have to say about him. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And our, and our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find this body, they came back saying they had, they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, so Jesus responds to them in their response, Oh, foolish ones. I think that was more of an endearing thing. I don't think he was rebuking them. He said, And slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning him. So, we go into our second question. We answered the question of why can't they why are they restrained from seeing him? Why can't they recognize him? So we're going to start into how is it that the disciples are able to see Jesus? We're going to look at three ways here that Jesus is going to illustrate that, that they're going to be able to recognize him. So starting with that, we see that Jesus, in response to what they say about him, teaches decides to teach them about what has been written about him from Moses through all the prophets. So the first point here is that you must hear the word so that you can see. You've got to hear the word so you can see. I can only imagine what that conversation and the things that Jesus taught about himself has written in the scriptures. And the scriptures back, they didn't have the New Testament because they were kind of doing the New Testament and it was recorded later. So all these things were written about him in the Old Testament. For example, I'm going to give you three examples of, of, of different ways that the picture of Jesus Christ is painted in the Old Testament. We'll start kind of in the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is a story about the fall of man. So what happens is we get an account of uh, the serpent, Satan, tempting Eve, Eve transgressing that onto Adam, them succumbing to that temptation, eating of the fruit, and introducing sin into the world. And after that happens, God goes and addresses each of the three parties that were involved in that initial sin. He talks to Satan and tells him, here's the consequences for what, you're gonna, for what you did. Talks to Eve, tells her her consequences for, for what she did. And talks to Adam, tells him about the consequences of the actions that he, he took in that sin. And the most important thing is we see that when God addresses Satan, when he's, when he's telling him, this is the consequences for what's going to happen. He says that his head's going to be crushed through the seed of the woman. 
And Jesus comes from that line. So Jesus shows up immediately after the first sin and is told that he's going to take care of sin right away. The other place that we'll see it, uh, and that in Genesis written by Moses, and then we see again in the law, uh, written in, in the book of Leviticus, which is also from Moses, that, okay, Leviticus can be a little tedious to read. I don't know if you've tried to read it or not, but there's a lot of repetition. It goes into a lot of law, and it goes into, um, initially you start in chapter 1, and you can just read chapter 1 and, and see. It talks about what, you, what the means of atonement for sin were through animal sacrifice. The atonement of sin through animal sacrifice is painting a picture of Jesus Christ right off the bat. So what happened was in, in Leviticus, it's, this is the burnt offering, so this is the offering of the animals, that somebody who's a sinner, which is everybody, would go into their flock and grab an unblemished goat or sheep, whatever you're going to bring to sacrifice, unblemished, which right there paints a picture of Jesus, right? He was a perfect man, sinless, unblemished. Takes that, goes to the priest, and says, I want atonement for my sins, and we're going to put this this unblemished goat up for sacrifice. So the priest, part of, part of the things that they had to do was lay their hands on the head of that goat, and what that represented was the transfer of that sinner's sins onto that goat so that it could be sacrificed, so it could be killed on, their, on behalf of their sins. One thing to point out is that every... So one is we put our belief in Jesus, our sins are transferred on him. It is a perfect sacrifice, can't be improved upon. That's why we don't do animal sacrifices today. Another thing is the reason that the, the next action after the sin has been transferred onto that animal is to, is to sacrifice it is because sin every time 100% deserves death. And, and that's what happens here. And the reason that God offered this animal sacrifice system for his people is because he loves them and he offered a way for them to have a propitiation which is, which is our seminary word for the day. Propitiation is a cooling of God's wrath. Um, it, it, it was an answer for sin before Jesus came. Uh, so so it, was a, it was a hard issue. It was a, it was a, it was a way out for, for people who sinned at that time for God to remove his wrath from them. But they had to do this constantly. They, they couldn't just do it one time. They had to do it over and over and over again because they would sin over and over and over again. Another place that we see Jesus said he, from Moses all the way through the prophets. So the third, third place I'm just going to point out, go on and on. He's painted all over the Old Testament. This is, an, this is a famous one. Isaiah is, is a famous prophet from the Old Testament. And Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 8, talks about Jesus and, and what, he, what he was going to be accomplishing for us. Now I'm just going to read Isaiah 53, 1 through 8. Who has believed what he has heard from us. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of the dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we could look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus took on our iniquity once and for all. And the death that's deserved because of our sin was accomplished permanently through Jesus Christ. So that's the first way that you're able to start to see and recognize who Jesus is. Let's read on. And this is going to, we're going to pick up in verse 28 here. So they drew near to the village, which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. So the second point here is that you must invite so that you can see. We've got a God that is going to be there. He promises he's going to be there, but we need to invite him so we can see him. So he's not going to force himself on us, but if we invite, he's going to accept that that invitation and come into our lives. Understand that? So we need to invite him in order that we can see him. Let's keep moving. When he was at the table with him, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. So they sit down, and communion ultimately cured their blindness. They're in relationship with him. They break bread. And we're going to talk about communion in a minute. But what communion represents is a remembrance of what Jesus did for us on that cross. So in, in cracking that and breaking that bread open, their eyes are open. Because of that. And we see them go into to remembrance of him uh, immediately, as a matter of fact. If we read on, they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So, their response Jesus reveals himself so they recognize him, and then he immediately vanishes. And I don't know what my reaction would be, uh, but theirs is to go and start reflecting upon the things that just happen. They start to, they start to chew on it, as, as Pastor Tyson might say, which means you just kind of process it, process it out loud, to chew on it, and, and they realize that, that they had heartburn because of that. So that's your last point. Communion results in heartburn. Um, okay. <laughs> I thought it was cute. I just had, I had to put that in there. <laughs> okay, so... Um, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I promise that we're going to partake in worship of the Lord in communion today. Just as... Jesus revealed himself to these disciples through his word and and, and through them inviting him and ultimately through the breaking of bread. In response to hearing and learning about this stuff today, we want to take some time uh, to worship him through communion. So what we're going to do is, 
if you haven't been here before, we, we set up communion. We've got our, the elements of the communion in the back of the room, over by that door and over there. Tyson and Mark are going to come up. They're going to play two songs. While they're playing these two songs, I want to invite you to take some time in prayer and uh, what to say is, is to examine, examine yourself before taking communion. And what that means is to just take time to remember all the things that you've been forgiven for. So take some time in prayer before the Lord. Remember the things that you've been forgiven for, the things that he accomplished for us on the cross. And as you feel led as, as they're playing these songs, go ahead and get up and walk to the back of the room and, and partake in communion and break bread together. Now, there's no saving, saving power in, in those elements whatsoever. All that saving power is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it is a time to just go and take time to reflect and break bread with him so you can see and recognize him and just reflect on the things that you've been forgiven for.